Hello, I'm Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you have joined us before, welcome back. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends to do the same. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to my next conversation. (laughs) Hello, Colleen Eldridge. How are you? I am great. How about you? I Well, now that I have learned we have a shared love of hint water, I am wonderful. (laughs) Um, Colleen, I want to start by sharing a little bit, just a couple of sentence overview with our listeners about who you are, and then we'll get to history and life and all the fun things, but you are, in addition to being an AOPI, you are an author, a presenter, a success coach. You have basically captured all of the great things in life and are sharing them with all the people. So I love that our worlds have connected. I will ask you a little bit more later on about um, your book and how these things came to be, but I do want to share with our listeners that you are an amazingly accomplished woman. And I am so proud that you represent our sisterhood in the way that you do, because I think all of us have high expectations and grand goals. And when we get to celebrate the work that we do, it's a very good thing. So I hope all the women listening are taking notes. And welcome to this podcast. I am so happy to see your face and to hear your voice. Thank you. You literally just gave me cold chills just now. That was so sweet. Thank you so much. Well, I meant every word. But now, Colleen, the first thing that we always start with is how you came to be an AOPI. So what is your AOPI story? Yes. So um, it's interesting. I went to Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky. I um, knew a little bit about sorority life because I have a brother who is two years older than me in age. So he was at Transy and I would go and spend the weekends with him and his girlfriend was in a different sorority. And so I think my assumption was if I go to Transy, I would obviously just be in the sorority that my brother's girlfriend is in because she would like expose me to that sorority. And I remember going to going through recruitment and hearing the story about AOPI, and I still get like weepy about it. And I have to tell you, when I read AOPI's statement on Black Lives Matter, it was like, this is why I made the decision that I made, you know, almost 20 years ago now. Um, it's because the values that AOPI was founded on, I will never forget hearing that story and hearing the value of friendship was so important to them and the value of inclusion was so important to them those women that they said no 
no, we will not stand for this. In fact, we'll just do our own thing. And I often joke, it's like the best version of the kid that's like, I'm going to take my ball and go home, but like for the absolute right reasons. And so I just remember having this like, um, feeling in my stomach of like, this is it. Like, this is where you're supposed to be. What was even more interesting is I think a a couple of years before in the year leading up to the year I came in, um, the Tomega chapter wasn't doing that great with recruitment. And I ended up getting like all of the girls on my hall to join. (laughs) Like, I was just like, ladies, we have to be AOPIs. Like, listen to this story, you know? And so I think my hall had like the highest concentration of new members with AOPI. But I just remember feeling so proud of that history and that story and really feeling like that represented so much of who I was as a person. And from there, you know, I was really active in a chapter, um, but because inclusion is so important to me, I really wanted to be active at the Panhellenic level as well. And so I became president of Panhellenic while I was elected delegate for AOPI and then became president of Panhellenic. I was a recruitment counselor one year because I love AOPI, but I love Greek life too. And I'm a big supporter of Greek life in general. Um, And so it just became important to me to bridge that gap, not just between the chapter, but the chapter and the campus at whole. Um, After I graduated, I was an advisor for several years. Y'all, I did standards advising (laughs) for several years. So you are a brave woman. (laughs) Yeah, for like multiple years, I was the standards advisor. So y'all know what that means. Um, But I actually loved it because I really wanted to change even the face of standards and what that meant and the perception of that that people had about getting called into standards and how can we recognize the good things that people are doing for upholding the standards that we have, not just making a mistake. Um, And so I really loved being an advisor and then I was working full time and I started my business and so I had to take a break from AOPI because I just didn't have the time to. But still to this day, anytime an AOPI calls and is like, can you come speak at our chapter meeting? Yes, right? Like, like I can't do a weekly commitment, but I will always show up any way that I can. Well, so then that's a beautiful transition. And I love all of the things that you just said because I, you know, I agree with you. I had a conversation not long ago, and I think that, that where we are now you know, we look back on our founders and we say, wow, did those women get it, right? To your point, not only did they say no thank you, but no thank you and we're gonna build it better. And I kind of feel like we are in that place now. Like I am hoping that women 20 and 30 and 50 years from now look back at this time in our history and say, this was the expectation and they took it and they made it better and that's what we are now building on. But you are now, you mentioned your work. I think that your work is amazing. I was first introduced to you through your book. And the reason that I love this book, I love Mondays. Everyone historically does not love Mondays, but I love them. To me, it's just this fresh start 
to do all of the things. And by Friday, I'm tired. Right? Yeah. I'm very tired. <laughs> and so you created the most amazing book. I would love for you to tell us how you came to to have that inspiration for Monday morning pep talks, which you say in the very beginning, don't sit down and read this whole book. It's not designed that way. And and I really stuck with that for for maybe three or four weeks. I don't know. And and then I sat down and read all of them. And and I can still go back to them as I need on it, but but I didn't really follow the rules and I loved it equally as much. So talk to us a little bit about how that came to be, what you wanted to put in print. Yeah, so several years ago, I just kind of got this idea that people hate Mondays. And I, like you, Crystal, love Mondays. I always have thought, oh, man, I can't wait till Monday. We get to do it again, right? Like, it was always like I get to just figure things out again and do it better. And so for me, Monday has just always represented just like energy like let's just take it with what we got but most people dread Mondays and most people hate Mondays and most people start worrying about Monday on Sunday <laughs> so um, several years ago I just got this idea to, like what if I just sent out a little pep talk every Monday to people that's just like hey here's something to think about for the week and maybe you could carry it with you through the entire week and just see how you feel when you're being really intentional about one thing particularly. And as I started coaching, especially women, I have found part of what stops us from reaching where we want to go is we get too distracted. And it's like the shiny ball syndrome. So it's like, oh, I'm really into this today, but tomorrow it's going to be this. And the next day it might be this. So what if we just we're super intentional about how we showed up every day throughout the week based off of one thing. And so I started writing these emails and it was literally like my mom and my friends that got the emails for <laughs> first months. It was just like my mom every week would just re reply and be like, great job, Colleen, you know, like, <laughs> Oh, I love this one. Great job. Or she'd point out, you know, any type of grammatical error that I'm as moms do. So um, it was really just like a labor of love. I loved sending them out. I loved just thinking through. I loved writing them, and I was never really a writer before. But the, the process of just sitting down and writing these pep talks were just so much fun to me to think about what is what does someone maybe need to hear and I started keeping notes of things in my phone that I would like hear in a song sometimes it would be a lyric of a song would be the inspiration for the pep talks and over the years it's just grown and um, I kept writing a book I'd been in the process of writing a book and my first book was going to be about harassment in the workplace because that's what a lot of my background in HR was in. I was an investigator for several years of harassment and discrimination complaints. Um, and so I really wanted to write a book for women kind of exposing what harassment was and, and the process of what to do if you feel like you've been harassed because that process can be super intimidating. But that book was just so heavy and it took, like I just couldn't sit down and write it. 
And one morning at like three o'clock in the morning, um, which is when I feel like I'm a very spiritual person. I feel like God wakes me up at three to give me messages. And I just heard Monday morning pep talks is your first book. And I was like, well, no, like that's, why would I do that? And it was like a week of three o'clock in the morning, wake ups, Monday morning pep talks is your first book. And I remember just like saying, okay, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to look to see if the website Monday morning pep talks is available. If it's available, that's my sign that it needs to be the book. And it was available. (laughs) Okay, now I just got chills. (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, how is this still available? Like, that's such a common phrase, but okay, this is my son. So I went and looked at, I had written over 250 pep talks at that point. Oh, wow. So I went and pulled all of the pep talks that I had written and um, combed through them and was like, what do I want the message of this book to be? What do I want the flow of this book to be? And then I wrote about 15 of them just for the book. So brand new ones that were never published that were just for the book. And that's how the book came about. And it is probably one of the things that I'm most proud of because it was such a scary process to just put yourself out there. Because in my mind, even though there's now like, you know, 3,500 people that get the pep talks every week, I still just think of my mom reading it. But when you put a book out there, it is like, oh, anyone can get it and anyone can have an opinion on it. And what if they hate it? And what if it's not good enough? And all of the things that I think women go through with doubt and fear and worthiness and who am I to write a book? Um, But the fact that it's out there and then, you know, Success Magazine picked it up and said it's a top book for professional women and it was listed on all these lists and I just I call it the little book that could because it just kept growing beyond any expectation that I had so I'm just really proud of it. I am also proud of it and I want to encourage every woman who hears this to go get it. I assume you can find it at all the, the normal places. I ordered the most recent one on Amazon. So Yeah, that's the best place to go is on Amazon and just get a copy off Amazon. And I mean it really and and although I I did sit down and read it all in one, every now and then if I if I really do just need a little bit of inspiration i will just open it and turn to a page and think yeah okay this is for me today um, so- i love that because that is why i wrote it the way that i did was sometimes you need a pep talk on a thursday so just open it up and trust the message and people still will send me messages tag me in posts of oh, I was having a bad day and I opened up to this chapter and it was exactly what I needed to hear. And that is like, that's why I wrote it. Like, it's just, uh, it's the best feeling. Absolutely. One of the things that I love about the book, but also that I love about what you do is you are very relatable. I don't have to um, step into a different thought process or mindset. It, It reads very much like you're having a conversation. And so I love that. You also, in addition to being an author, you are a success coach. So tell us a little bit about what that means you do. Yeah. So when I first started coaching, and I really only work with women now, I think over the years, it just became clear that what I'm really passionate about is giving women the tools that they need 
to become leaders at work and at life. And so because of my background in HR, that work piece is just very intuitive to me, but they go hand in hand. And so it became this, how can I help women find success in whatever it is that they want to work on? Because my goals might be different than your goals. And some women are like, I just want to be the best mom that I can be. Great. How can I help coach you to develop the mindset to be the best mom that you can be to your children. And so oftentimes people come to me with goals and they say, I have this goal, but I don't really know how to get there. Um, And I'm really good at just breaking things down into very small steps that are easily digestible and easily um, obtainable for people. That way they don't overwhelm themselves. So when I coach women, it's either about how do I become a leader at work? What are the skill sets that I need and help them develop those skill sets? Or it's at at this very personal level of, um, you know, I've had clients that have wanted to write books and they don't know what the process is or they just want me to like, check in with them every two weeks to see where the progress is on their book and they will tell me I did nothing for a week and then I remembered that I had a call with you (laughs) and I wrote (laughs) more than what I probably have written in a long time and it's just that layer of accountability that a lot of us need in order to do the things that we say that we want to do because you know, Netflix happens and, um, and life happens and all these other things happen. But if you know you're going to check in with someone, somehow you magically do the work. So It is true. Yes. Now, before we get into who you are outside of your career, or I should say in addition to, we all are all of the things, I love the name of your company is Be More. And there is a B, and you Mm -hmm. have chosen that very intentionally. I just thought that was the neatest thing. Would you share it with us? Yes, yes, yes. So I did not start a business with intention. Like when I first started, I got asked to speak at a conference, and a company saw me speak and asked if I would come do training for the managers in their company. And in order to do that, I had to like set up a business, right? And so I was like, well, I'll just set up an LLC and I'll do this. And is this really the right move? Like, what do I know about running a business or starting a business? And and mind you, I have an MBA, right? (laughs) But, and I say that because oftentimes women talk themselves out of a belief that they can do something even though there's evidence that they can, right? So I had this MBA, I had worked in HR for several years at that point, and I was really kind of going back and forth about if I should do this, if I should not do it. And I remember calling my brother and asking him, he's kind of my sounding board for a lot of things. And I was like, I kind of have this idea to start this business, I don't really know. And he was like, what what would you do in it? And I told him and he said, you know, Colleen, for your entire life, When people asked you what you wanted to do, the only thing that you ever said was you wanted to be the next Oprah. And you have wanted this for forever. And he was like, I always knew what you meant was you want to empower people to live their best lives like Oprah did. That's exactly what you would be able to do in this business. And it was like this light bulb moment for me 
And as soon as I made the decision, I kid you not, this swarm of bees come by my car. And I was like, what do bees stand for? So I like, hey, Siri, what do bees stand for, right? <laughs> and, uh, oh, whoops, my Siri heard me. <laughs> <laughs> and wanted to chime in. Um, and so it said, bees are um, not supposed to be able to fly because of the weight of their body and the span of their wings. And yet they exceed the expectation. And I thought, gosh, that is such a representation for who I am as a person. Uh, my father passed away when I was young. I was raised by a single mom. There are all of these expectations for what my life should have been like based off of those circumstances. But I have always fundamentally believed that we as individuals have an opportunity to be more than the circumstances that are dealt to us. And from that moment, I was like, what if I just called it Be More Consulting? And part of my mission with the work that I do is to exceed my clients' expectations, to exceed, you know, when I go in and do trainings with companies, exceed the expectation of what they think training and development should be. Um, but also personally, it's just a reminder that I, I have so much more that I'm capable of doing if I just kind of get out of my own way. Well, and I think you have absolutely been more. Like, this is amazing. And I even find myself writing down the notes that you are sharing. You know, sometimes we do just have to get out of our own way and Mm -hmm. see what we can do. And so often as women, we do second-guess ourselves. I mean, obviously, you have a talent for business. You have done it beautifully. And at the end of this, we're going to tell everyone how to find you. But I, I do think that there is a lot of truth in that because we can as women know that we have the ability and talk ourselves out of it for fear of what the next steps are so i love that you're not and that you are bringing all of the good news to our women you did mention your life circumstances and there are many things that we could talk about even with what you have shared because a loss early in life being raised by a single parent um, all of those things come with their own stories mm-hmm. colleen what i did not mention at the beginning of this po- podcast is that in addition to all of these things you are a black woman mm-hmm. and not only that you are a black woman married to a white man yes and we are now in a climate where there is a lot of conversation around what it means to be black and brown, around Black Lives Matter, around what white people can do to support and sustain. So I have asked you also for you to share your personal story with our sisters and friends because I find it to be a powerful one and one that I think would resonate with a lot of people. And then we'll go forth in that conversation. But talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I grew up, I was born in California. And then after my father passed away, we moved to Texas, San Antonio, Texas, where my mom's family is from. My mom was born and raised there. And so when I lived in Texas, I grew up in a mostly white and Hispanic school. Um, San Antonio is really close to the border. In fact, I remember as a kid 
going to Mexico for like dinner on Thursday night sometimes, you know, like just to have good tacos. We would like drive down to Mexico and then we'd come back. Um, And then I moved to Kentucky. I moved to a little town called Cynthia, Kentucky. And it was so small. And um, I went to a private Catholic school when we moved there where my brother and I were one of three people of color in the entire school. And I was the only black girl at the school. That never really um, bothered me necessarily. Like, obviously I noticed that there were differences and um, there was a part of me for a long time that believed a lot of those differences were because I wasn't from there because Cynthia is a very close-knit community that it was more about not being from there than race. And as I grew older, you know, it was it was a great place to be raised, but it was a very small farming rural town, which comes with pros and cons. Like the pros were I was raised by the people of Cynthia as much as my mom. Like I would get home from school and my mom would be like, well, I heard that such and such happened at school today, <laughs> right? Before I could even get home. And so it was a very loving community in so many ways, but like a lot of cities that had its problems. And I will never forget being in high school and having a, a teacher ask me if I would tutor um, a white male student that was a year older than me, but he needed some additional support. And she said, Colleen, I really think you would be great to tutor him. And we worked together for months and his grades improved. And, you know, he was real hesitant at first, but by the end, we're like laughing and we're friends. Like I'm thinking we are good friends at this point. And I remember one day he said to me, you know, Colleen, I don't like N-words, but I like you. And it caught me so off guard because that was not at all what I thought. And he thought that that was a compliment because he was saying, but I I like you. Like that absolved me from the impact of not just the word, but the fact of like, that's what he genuinely thought about me before he met me too. And that really impacted me and how I started to view the world in a more comprehensive way. And I remember going to that teacher saying, I can't tutor him anymore because it just was like so uncomfortable. And I was like, I can't tutor him anymore. Well, then, you know, fast forward, I would go to college. I go to a predominantly white college. I was one of three women of color in my class of 250. And it was, I was comfortable in that experience because that's what I grew up with. Um, And college was fun and I loved transy and I loved being an AOPI. And then I got into the workplace and that created its own barriers. And then, you know, several years later, I ended up meeting my husband, who is not the person I thought that I would marry for multiple reasons. (laughs) He um, is, a white male he had he was in the military when I met him and for some reason I had this very like strong stereotype of what that meant 
in terms of how he would be in a relationship. And so I was very much like, I don't really know. Like, I don't know about meeting you and getting to know you. Um, And in fact, that was more of what I was hesitant about than him being white, because I had dated white men before. um, But with my husband, it was just kind of like, I don't know, you're in the military. That, like, are we gonna have to move? Are you gonna have to go to war? Like, what is that gonna mean? And, And we also are very, different politically as well and so we have all of these things like working against us but yet somehow he makes me laugh more than any other person that I've ever met he believes in me more than any other person he supports me more than any other person and it was just like this knowingness of like okay this is who I'm going to be with it's not who I thought I was going to be with but this is who I'm going to be with and he retired from the military. He became a JROTC instructor. He became a police officer. And so in the scope of everything that's happening, he and I are having these conversations at home about Black Lives Matter, about police reform, about what it means for us to be in this interracial relationship, what it means for me to be a black woman in America these days. And I think people find it surprising because I truly do believe in the power of the word and. And I think that people have kind of been sold this message that it has to be either or when it can be and. And so I wrote a post a couple of weeks ago about Um, you know, these conversations that he and I have been having as a black female and a white male, as someone who is conservative versus someone who's more progressive, as someone who's been a police officer versus someone who has no police experience. Um, And how do we come to terms with this? And so I wrote about how, yes, of course, I support Black Lives Matters. And I think that this is an important conversation But I also remember watching my husband go through the police academy. And I remember, you know, after seven months of like bruises and scrapes and like the mental piece of it too was super intense, wondering if he was gonna make it through. He was the oldest person in his class by years. Um, And it it was, it's a really grueling experience. And so, Every week he'd come home and I'd be like, are we good? Are we still in, you know? And and the day that he graduated, just that sense of pride of like, man, my husband is doing something amazing. And so I wanted to honor like him and that experience and recognizing that there are so many great police officers in the world that do amazing jobs. And I think people have this feeling like you can't, before something and still think that it might need fixing. And I think that you can, you can have the end. I can be for police and, and I pray for police officers and law enforcement every single night. I pray for their families. But I also think that we have to do a better job at addressing some very systemic issues that are happening. And so that post, I think, started a really interesting conversation, but I think it, more than anything, it gave people permission to kind of be in this and place. And I don't want to call it the gray area because I'm not gray about it, but I also think that it's not as simple, you are either for police or you are for black lives. I think it can be both. So I, 
I agree. And I think that so many times the challenge, particularly for people like me, I am a white woman. I am blonde-headed and blue. I mean, it is the stereotype, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I am so passionate, especially as I have learned what I didn't know. You know, I say, and I say, people who listen to the podcast hear this all the time. I have two teenage boys, and I say all the time, it's so hard growing up. It's so hard becoming who you are. And then when you are adults, it's hard sometimes just to sustain life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's my perspective. That's without any barriers to race that that I will never know and understand no matter how many times I hear it. Can I sympathize with it? Yes. Can I empathize? No, because I will never have that experience in this, in this space. Right. Right. And yet my heart has been broken so many times for my sisters and friends that I am now learning. We're not always comfortable in spaces in AOPI or in their work, or among our friend groups. And I sit back and think, I never knew that, and I didn't even know to ask. Uh And while I now am starting to understand and know where to go with that and what to do with it and how to be an ally and stand in support of, to your point, I know good people in law enforcement I know good people that are doing good things that when there is a car accident and you get pulled over, there is no fear of a life being taken unnecessarily or ever. It just, uh-huh. and, and yet I am so passionate about everyone being comfortable literally in their own skin because life's just so hard otherwise. There are just so many things, particularly for women. I'm not trying to take anything away from men, but but it's just hard. And mm-hmm. now that this has been brought to the forefront, and even since George Floyd's murder, we are still, I mean, two more of these murders have come forward in the last several days. And, mm-hmm. and so this conversation has to continue I think that we have we are in a place now that we have momentum, but it's that and that will allow uh-huh. us to have really good open conversation without taking offense. Yeah. I was speaking to a friend just the other day on the walking track and she says, well, you know, you're a white woman. And I said, I do. And she says, I don't mean any offense by that. And I said, I can't take any. It's true. <laughs> right? right? And and the fact that she even felt she had to say it. And it yeah. is, and there's something to be said for self-education. A lot of books are being offered. But in addition to reading and to making an effort to understand Capturing that space in the and, Mm -hmm. I think, is really important because I think you you can have that experience. What I will ask you now is, what do you want our sisters and friends, all people, to know about how we stand with our black and brown sisters to make this a better place and to make life a better experience 
Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So, you know, it's been interesting for me the last couple of weeks to kind of just watch social media and and watch not just organizational responses, which is, has been really fascinating for me to watch because of the background that I have in that, but also individual responses and seeing like literally some people just waking up to the reality of this for the very first time. And it's almost like they knew, but they didn't know, right? <laughs> and um, one of the things that I was really intentional about over the last few weeks was sharing very personal stories. And if you go back and look at my feed from prior to that, those are not stories that I have shared ever. And the reason that that was so, in, in fact, I remember one of my best friends who was my roommate in college called me and she said, we have known each other for 15 years and I did not know any of those things that happened to you. And it's true because that's not what you want to lead the conversation with. And that's not like a a point of pride that you want to talk about, but it was really important for me, I think to humanize what racism looks like and the different forms that it comes in. And I think what that did, because the emails that I got and the messages that I got and the texts that I got from people who have known me for years were just like, oh my gosh, if it can happen to Colleen and we know Colleen and we love Colleen and we support Colleen, if it can happen to her, what else is happening? And who else is it happening to? And it was just this moment of realization. So um, one of the things that I think is really important to think about, uh, I talk often about this idea of knowing versus doing, right? And so, yes, I want you to read the books. I want you to get the books. I want you to educate yourself. But don't just let it stop there because it's so easy to think, well, I've read this book, therefore I'm doing the work. The work is not reading the book. The work is then saying, what am I going to do with this information now that I know it? And, and how am I going to apply this information? And how am I going to be willing to show up and take imperfect action in order to be a better ally and a better accomplice for people that I know, people that I don't know, and people that I could love? And I, I posed these questions to a few people a couple of weeks ago, and I think it really resonated with them. But it's things like this. Think about um, if you have been married, think about what your wedding party looked like. Uh, look at your wedding pictures. Did you have people of color at your wedding? Um, did you have any vendors of color at your wedding? Think about who the last person that you had a meal with was. Was that a person of color? Or when was the last time, if you are a white female, that you had a dinner, a meal, with a black or brown person? Um, Think about the last people that you've text, you sent text messages to. When was the last time you sent a text message to a person of color? Then take that a step further. Look at the books that you have. How many books do you have written by people of color? Look at the TV shows that you watch. Look at the movies that you watch. Look at, there are all these ways that, you know, society makes white the norm that it's so easy to forget that there's all these different perspectives besides a white perspective. And so 
how are you integrating those different perspectives into your own life? And then, you know, I have often said, sometimes it's not that people are racist, it's that they don't have perspective. They don't have anyone close to them that looks different than them to hear a different perspective. And so when I think about what really makes a relationship, it's time and proximity. So who are you spending time with and who do you have proximity to? And then be super intentional about cultivating those relationships with people that don't look like you so that you can get that perspective. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying just go get a black friend, (laughs) like just bring a black girl into your circle. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying because you don't want to tokenize that person. But what I am saying is be intentional about developing those relationships like you do with all your other friends, have meals with them, text them and check in with them, include them in things. And that's how you build friendships and relationships. And that perspective allows you to just move the needle to see things slightly different. You'll never be able to see it from their perspective per se, but at least you can hear that perspective in the back of your head versus just a more um, homogeneous perspective of what's going on. Absolutely. I still am taking notes on all of these things. And it's interesting you say that by virtue of my service in AOPI, I come into contact with a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of new faces and friends every year. And as you were talking, I thought to myself, how many of these women do you do I as a person come home and really maintain a connection I have created with and that is something I can be very intentional about not even just sitting in the seat where I currently serve because that time will one day be over mm-hmm. but just as a person to enhance my life experience and my perspective because I am only one And I have often said when we come around the boardroom table as executive board members, you know, we do not, we bring nine different perspectives. We do not always agree. When we come out, we all support whatever the shared commentary is, but it is such a better space because of that shared experience and all those perspectives. And yet we talk about doing that around boardroom tables and and places similar, but not necessarily in life and how much Mm -hmm. that could bring just to your life experience. So I am steadily taking notes on that as well. Yeah. And can I add a couple more things? Yes. One thing that I also think kind of gets in the way is I saw this really great meme that said, um, treat racism like you treat COVID. Assume that you have it, right? And and the reason that I think that that's so important is because a lot of good people, like really good people, think that they can't be racist because they're good people. And I volunteer and I know black people and I care about black people. So certainly I would never do or say anything racist. And when I ask the question about, you know, look at your wedding pictures, look at who you had at your wedding, because that is like your most intimate group of like people that you know and love and care about. That tells you a lot about perspective and the perspectives that you have. 
and a woman sent me a message and she um we i know her through some um candidate work that i've done for different candidates and she she said to me colleen when you asked that question it was such a wake-up call for me because i have been to three days of black lives matters protests I have been vocal, I have been standing up, I have been fighting for it, but you asked me to look at my wedding pictures and I realized I did not have a single person of color as a guest at my wedding, nor did I use a single person of color as a vendor. And that was a huge wake up call to me. And again, when we think about racism, I think it's so easy to default to I'm a good person and I'm not like in the Klan and I'm not burning crosses, therefore I'm not racist. But we have to kind of broaden the scope of what that means and recognize your role in that and recognize the things that you can do more intentionally to bring new perspective to yourself, but also ensure that you are creating what I call a culture of inclusion where everyone in your presence feels valued, respected and supported regardless of who they are. Well, and, and very much to your point, something that I have learned, you're right people assume white people assume if we are making an effort to be good people if we are volunteering if we are donating if we are whatever those things are that we couldn't possibly be racist and Mm -hmm. yet by virtue of our skin we are taking advantage of systemic racism built into our society into the very fabric of what it means to be an american Mm -hmm. and and that too was something that that I struggled with understanding because for so long white privilege was considered like the wealthy people that were white but but that's not white privilege you don't have your checkbook is is irrelevant for that purpose exactly and and regardless of checkbook or social class or anything else I am still a white woman enjoying the benefits of being a white woman and so mm-hmm. now how to take that and broaden that to encompass all women. Again, yeah. n- nothing against the men part. But, right, but right, to, right. You know, and, and you're right. Like when you said that, I thought to myself, I do have dear friends that are women of color now. But when I married 20 years ago this year, I yeah. did not. And when we decided with a week's notice we would get married on a Friday night, the people in my grandmother's living room all looked just like me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. and I would I would I would say to you now, I love my husband, nothing is happening there with, with respect <laughs> to what I'm about to say, but if I were to have that experience and to say now, come now, there would be women of color in that living room. And I am yeah. proud to know that, but that doesn't mean that, that that fixes all the things that I could be doing or all the things I still right. need to know and learn. Yes. And, and even, you know, beyond a wedding, think about special family events, birthday parties. Like, what do those gatherings look like? And do they look like you want them to look? Do they look like the values that you have? And I think that's just such an important thing to think about when you're planning events. And again, not just for like the token picture of like, look, I have black people at my house, but really just like, is this, is this really who I am as a person and who I say I want to be? And it's just so easy. You know, if you, if I, I have been trying to educate people on how to think about this, and especially for white women who have not had to think about race 
most of their lives. Um, you know, these are conversations that started in my household when I was very young about what it meant to be black. And for some women, it's like, you know, you're now in your thirties and this is the first time that you've had to think about it beyond that. And I've described it as you don't think about cancer until either you get it or someone, you know, love it. But if you get it, you think about it every single day, right? You don't forget that you have cancer. And so it's almost like coming into awareness of like, okay, I recognize that I have a role in this too. What am I going to do with the role that I have? So even in things like workplaces, how am I helping to amplify um, people of color's voices in the workplace as a person that might have privilege? How can I help amplify those voices? How can I ensure that my workplaces are inclusive? How can I make sure that there's a seat at the table for people that don't look like me? Um, how am I encouraging people of color to apply for promotions and to work their way up and letting them in sometimes on these like secret things that oftentimes people of color are not taught growing up about workplaces and relationships and um, you know how the system works. So interesting. I will I will never forget the day that like my mom asked me if I wanted to take golf lessons. And I was like, why would I take golf lessons? Like people <laughs> make deals on golf courses, right? And it's like things like that where, you know, a lot of my friends, I went to a um a small liberal arts college with some wealthy people, and they've been playing golf since they were five. And so there are some of these like innate things that you are taught that I'm not taught. How can I help bring you in and help elevate and promote you as well? Because we might have the same skill set, but I may not know that this is what I need to do in order to build the right relationships. Colleen, we've talked about a lot of things and they're good things. I also want to know how people can connect with you to follow you on social media. You you do share wonderful things, motivational things, yes, but personal things. We were talking before the podcast. I had not known the story of the Lovings, and you posted a beautiful collage with their photos and from their wedding, I would presume, at least at some mm-hmm. point in their marriage, and then yours. And mm-hmm. I did not know the story of the Lovings, and I think all people should know them because they had to fight to to be married in an in a in a relationship with with a black person and a white person and in this day and age i just think how in the world could that have been a thing and yet it's a thing because of the lovings Mm -hmm. and it wasn't that long ago that's the part that's so crazy is like we think that it was so long ago and it really wasn't that long ago. And I will say, if you have not seen, there's a great documentary on HBO about the Lovings, and then they made a feature film about the Lovings too, um, that came out, I think just two or three years ago. Both of those are so great to tell that story, but my favorite part, because y'all, I'm a hopeless romantic, right? But this uh, Richard Lovings is just a simple countryman, and um, he, you know, they they had been ran out of Virginia and forced to leave Virginia and leave their families. Both their families lived in Virginia, and they would have to sneak in to like visit their families in the middle of the night in just like 
horrible things, horrible things happened to these two people because they loved each other. So when they finally decided, um, they got convinced to like take their case all the way to the Supreme Court and their attorney was at their house and they, they asked Richard Lovings, what do you want me to say to the justices of the Supreme Court? Like, what is it that you want them to know? And he has this moment where he pauses and he goes, just tell them I love my wife. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, because like at the end of the day, that is what it's about. And like you watch it, and if you are a hopeless romantic like me, you will cry. I'm about to cry now. I was about like, to say I'm about it. But it's so good, and it's really just what it's about. It's just this is who I love. Like, and who can argue with that? And so I would highly recommend you watch both of those. I absolutely will. Now, Colleen. How do our women find you? Because you have a lot going on and a couple of opportunities for us to be a part of it. Yes. So lots of ways, but my favorite way is Instagram. So if you are on Instagram, it is just coach underscore Colleen and that's C-O-L-E-N-E. And y'all get to hang out with me on Instagram. I post every day, like a motivational message every morning. Um, But when I do videos, it's usually either in my bed or in the car. So we get to be really good friends. Um, So that's where I hang out most is on Instagram. You get to see behind the scenes. Um, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but my husband, I'd like to share ridiculous pictures of my husband too, because he's hilarious and ridiculous. Um, so just yesterday I posted, he bought something called a neck weight, which looks like a combination of a Viking hat and a flavor flave necklace with a weight on it because he said he needed to strengthen his neck muscles. So you really get to see some behind the scenes pictures of who I am as a person and my husband and my family and all that fun stuff and events. Um, so that's the best way. And on that Instagram page, if you click on the link in my bio, it'll have a link to take you to sign up for the pep talks so you can get on that list. Um, I still send those out every Monday morning at 5.15 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. So they're there and waiting for you when you wake up. That way you can start your week off right. Um, and we were talking while we were disconnected for a second. Um, I'm hosting a big virtual conference called Empower Conference. And I often say the tagline for it is not your mama's conference because we really are trying <laughs> to create something very different. And it is a leadership development conference just for women. It's like brunch with your girlfriends. Um, And last year we had our first one. It sold out with 250 women. This year we're taking it virtual. So you can join us from wherever you're at. And we are still in the planning processes. It will not be until November, but I will definitely be sharing about it a lot on social media and in the pep talks. So just find me that way and you can come. You know, I plan on it. I am so excited about this. Colleen, thank you. Thank you for sharing your inspiration and your story and your life with all of us. I could not appreciate more what I have learned from you as a friend and as a sister and just as a person and also as a black woman who is strong 
and courageous and able to take on helping to be a part of the education that we all didn't even know we needed. And now that we are there for bringing us along and for for helping us get there, you are an amazing role model for all of us. I cannot wait to see what you do next. And again, thank you so much. And for all of you out there listening, as always, thank you. And until next time, stay safe and be well. Mm -hmm.